0: Welcome to the Fatherhood Challenge, a movement to awaken and inspire fathers everywhere, to take great pride in their role, and to challenge society to understand how important fathers are to the stability and culture of their family's environment. Now, here's your host, Jonathan Guerrero. Greetings, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me. It's great to have you with me. My guest is Jeff Steiner. He's the Executive Director of Dad's Resource Center. Jeff, thank you so much for being on the Fatherhood Challenge.
1: Jonathan, I'm really happy to be with you here today. Thank you very much.
0: Now I'm curious,
1: what is your favorite dad joke? Well, I don't have a dad joke per se. I will say uh, one of the things I used to do that the girls really hated, um, particularly in middle school, is um, they'd come home and there'd be things that we need this sign, you know, as parents for them to mm-hmm. take back in the school. And I would print in big uh, block letters, big dad. And, and like, at first it was weird, but by the time, you know, my daughter got into eighth grade, she's like, okay, you need to stop with this. <laughs> you know? So that's just one of those things that just, you know.
0: Did everybody else reading it, did they get the, did they get an it?
1: Yeah, yeah. They kind of, everyone knows who I am in that, in that arena. And, you know, yeah. So it was just me, you know, trying to embarrass my daughter.
0: <laughs> so you're the executive director of the dad's resource center. And the first question I had in my mind, and I know listeners have the same question is what is dad's resource center?
1: The dad's resource center was founded by Dr. Joel N. Myers, who is the founder and CEO of Acumen, Uh, And that's based here in state college in Pennsylvania, where Penn state is. And uh, Joel had went through some things and it took him a lot of time and resources to get his situation squared away. And, you know, when, when, when it got sorted out to where it needed to be, he thought, okay, there are a lot of fathers who've gone through this who don't have my capacity to be able to muscle through it. And so I'm going to uh, do something to, you know, help those fathers as best we can. And so that's why he established the Dad's Resource Center. Uh, my first career was doing direct service with children and families as a family counselor. I worked in group homes with adjudicated youth for three or four years, and then for about a decade did family preservation work with cho- uh, families that had children at risk of being placed outside of them. And then I started uh, managing small nonprofits that benefit um, families and children. And so those two things um, combined—you um, know, Joel and I got together. You know, he found me, and we've worked to be able to build the Dads Resource Center up, which provides education resources and advocacy for single fathers struggling to be in the lives of their children due to uh, being involved with the family court, county uh, and human services systems. Uh, we believe that father absence is a major factor in nearly every social issue this country faces, uh, and that every able and willing father should be allowed to uphold uh, his sacred responsibility as a father uh, and. Um, that's what we're about. And that's, we we will take an opportunity like this any chance we can and be able to get the word out and talk about all of that.
0: I think that's awesome. I see the Dad's Resource Center has done a lot of research and studies about the importance
1: of of fathers. Can you share some of what you found? Sure. So we went back, uh, the National Longitudinal Survey of Youth 97, uh, which was a database started in 97 of Uh, 13 to 18-year-olds, and they would survey them every year and then every couple of years. Uh, And um, it's a publicly available database, so you can do things like we did with it. And so uh, the latest update they did to it that we're aware of was back in 2019. And so all the participants in the survey were – in through their young adult years, they were 35, 40 years old. And we looked at how they were responding about how life had found and cross-compared children who grew up with both their mother and father uh, versus those children um, who grew up without their father in their home. Uh, and what we found is in every, everything we looked at, uh, the performance of children who were able to be in a home with both their parents was better. They were doing better in life. Uh, than what the ones who didn't have their father uh, in their home with them. You know, and so, for example, uh, children who grew up without their father in their home were 7% less likely to graduate from high school and 71% more likely to have been convicted of a crime. Um, they were 48% less likely to have graduated from college. They were significantly more likely to have sex before the age of 18, to uh, engage in hard drug uh, and alcohol. Use and even those basic components of being a citizen um, in the world. Uh, they were less likely to volunteer their time in the community. They were less likely to donate to a charity. They were less likely to vote. You know, so like even in those areas, you know, children grow up to be better citizens uh, and happier and healthier um, than if they got their father actively involved in their lives. And the the other thing we looked at two other points: the children who grew up without and this is more of an economic and societal issue as it pertains to fatherhood. Uh, children who grew up without their father in their home were 94% more likely to have used government programs such as WIC, SNAP, and workers' compensation. At the same time, uh, those children made 26% less annually than children who grew up with both parents in their home. And that's the difference uh, in this instance between uh, making $59,490 and making forty. $3,938. And that impacts them at that current state and then them as parents and what they're able to provide for their children. So, just it, it, as I said, in pretty much every issue um, that society faces, um, it's either the lack of father involvement, one way or the other, is an amplifier, makes it worse, and is either Part of the issue, or maybe even the biggest driving uh, factor.
0: There may be people listening that may think, "Oh, well, you know what? I, this doesn't may not apply to me and such." So, for the person listening that think that thinks that this topic or this situation or what we where we've gone so far does not directly affect them, what exactly is the impact of all of this to taxpayers? Uh,
1: there were studies back in two thousand and nine that looked at. The estimated cost to taxpayers due to father absence relative to income support programs like uh, EITC, uh, SSI, TANF, uh, nutrition programs like food stamp, school breakfast, school lunch, uh, WIC, health programs like Medicaid, uh, state children's health insurance program, SCHIP, and social service programs like energy assistance, Head Start, public housing, and those types of things. And so at the time, uh, the number that they came up with. And it, there are two independent people who had done that at the same time. And it was roughly around $100 billion a year, the cost, to taxpayers. Uh, we updated their formula with current census uh, data and other data and found that as of 2020, the estimated cost to taxpayers for father absence is $270 billion a year.
0: That's actually kind of scary. So- What I'm learning from this information and from the statistics, and tell me if I'm wrong about any of this, but the first thing is the lack of fatherhood presence and involvement is one of the major contributing factors in kids who don't know who they are and can't find their purpose in life. And the second thing is those statistics suggest that the lack of presence of a father is literally at some point everyone's problem.
1: Correct and correct. Uh, I'll share my own personal story. I haven't been on the business end that we're talking about here today. Uh, uh, we're married. We have our girls. We don't have girls, the children, to anyone else. So I've never been on the business end like the fathers that I encounter in the situations they encounter. But why this is personal to me is I grew up without a father. I couldn't tell you today, Jonathan, who my father was. And it is the defining characteristic. Even at my age, I'm 56 years old. Even now, I got a hole in my soul because I didn't have a father. The very thing you just said, the first point. And I made a lot of mistakes, learned things the hard way because I didn't have a father to teach me or a father to to be there and uh, guide me. And that has been my life. Like I've learned hard lessons the hard way, you know, because I didn't have a father to teach me. And that's the story in different ways. And I've been relatively successful in life, but people who have more inclinations or struggles or problems is an amplifier. And not having a father makes all of that, even, even in someone who does okay in life, it, it's held them back in some ways. But anyone who has bigger issues, it makes those issues worse. Let's go to the other side of things.
0: What kind of challenges do single fathers face when they encounter the court, county and human service systems?
1: We did a study of uh, 14 counties in Pennsylvania with contested custody cases. And we found, and this is where both parents want custody of their children. And they may be, you know, having lawyers, paying money, Mm -hmm. you know, fighting to get custody of their children. And on average, judges awarded mothers 69% of custody time, fathers 31% of custody time. And out of those Seventy, and, and that roughly works out to the standard thing, because this is what family courts do every other weekend and one day during the week. That's the standard. they're moving past that a little bit, but that's just kind of the template. That's how they do it. But even worse, out of the seven hundred cases, one hundred of them, the judge gave the father uh, custody. One hundred, they gave both parents custody. The other five hundred, they gave custody, full custody to the mom, right? Wow. And that's just the tip of the iceberg with family courts. Um and we don't have we could do this podcast all day for a week for me to share the different stories about what fathers go through in family courts. And it is just horrible. The other areas that, that things occur when you get into contentious custody cases, the involvement of guardian ad litems, and I again, I have countless stories of biases in ways in which guardian ad litem. Do you know what a guardian ad litem? Do I need to explain it? Yeah. What is that? A guardian ad litem is an attorney most times who is pointed to uh, advise the court on behalf of a child in different situations. One of which would be custody sometimes when children and youth becomes involved in those types of things. But in these custody situations, we just see a consistent pattern again, where fathers are marginalized or kept out, disadvantaged siding with the mother when guardian ad litems uh, become involved. Protection mm. from abuse. It, there's this playbook that occurs. Uh, and let me just say this, right? Dad's Resource Center is fully supportive of any kind of interventions for domestic violence, any kind of prevention programs. We are active. I'm part of the Center County Domestic and Sexual Violence Task Force, right? We, we support all of that. But there is a, a te- and attorneys will tell you this, A textbook where you make an accusation of a PFA, and I've seen applications that it's just no more than the father's increasingly agitated. I I see them, they show them to me, there's nothing, there's no physical activity, there's no threats most times when this occurs. But that clocks the father in terms of custody, can't see their children, and these things drag out longer than they're supposed to do for a lot of different reasons. And they almost always rarely return back to the previous custody situation. Uh, And judges are so gun shy because they don't want to be that judge that doesn't grant a PFA and have something really horrible happen that they will keep a temporary because that won't go on the father's uh, record. That's their way of, you know, kind of being nice to them. But keep the PFA in place is a temporary, not a permanent in limbo for years. And the, that's used against the father and the father's denied access to their children. And then when children and youth services get involved, most times, a lot of the times, they're kind of fair and they're just working with both parents. But you that you do see the pattern where fathers are um, cut out through that process, too. So there's just all these different ways in the system. And everyone's aware of it, Jonathan. That's one of the most horrible and worst things about it. Everyone acknowledges that there's this issue with fathers, particularly within the family courts. But there's little motivation to do anything about it. So they must be justifying it in some
0: way, saying, okay, well, they're doing this in some way for the benefit of the child. Uh, There otherwise wouldn't be any way to justify this type of behavior. So, I mean, let's just go to the other side of it. Let's go to the child side. What is the impact on the child
1: when they are denied access to their fathers? unnecessarily right now and I'll say this particularly about family courts and I got to do the rider in this most times separated families work these things out as well as could be expected under circumstances or reasonably well most times and there are times when you have an abusive father or a horrible father or the father is the problem when it comes to custody but again what we see are fathers who might be flawed in certain ways Some of them, it's hard to see what the flaws are that could even remote justify them being denied access to their children, where they're not abusing. There's not any kind of accusation of abuse or harm towards the children. And they're just completely cut out of their children's lives or they got to jump through hoops or do supervised visits unnecessarily when there isn't really any concern about the children. But it, it, particularly in the, uh, the contested custody situation, what happens? And, what, and people say, like they're, uh, the judge, I need to talk to the children and hear what the children um, say. I can tell you what every child in a uh custody situation wants. You don't need to talk to them. They want mom and dad to get along. They want mom and dad to act civil with one another and just mm-hmm. do what's right. You know. So when that doesn't happen, what's their, their experience? perpetual uncertainty. So if you're in a separated family, that's bad enough for a kid. Like their world is rocked if mom and dad separate. So they're already in this thing that they got two different worlds out there and they don't know which one they belong in and what, what's happening. To them. So that happens out of the gates regardless, even if it's being handled well. But if you got this situation where it's contentious and a father in this instance is being denied access to them, they're in a perpetual state of uncertainty because you never know. Like they're in court and custody. And on any given there's a. they just know there's a court hearing and what's going to happen. They don't know what it's about, but they could end up having to think their circumstances and the rules that they're having to live by now can change. So they're in a constant state of uncertainty. They're in a constant state where anything they say somehow can lead to some sort of firefight and, and blow off. And they all. Every one of them believe, because it's the case practically, this tension between their mom and dad wouldn't exist if it wasn't for them. That's the reality, and they know that. And they that's a burden they have to carry. You know, when it comes to their father in these types of situations, it's this but he's nice to me and he's calm, and I've never really seen him, you know, you're human, you see some things happen in the house, we all, you know, have our moments, but All in all, he's, you know, he's, he's, he's not the way he's being portrayed here. Like there's this big story and drama that's being built and the kid's like, he's not like that. I don't, so they, they're kind of getting gaslit by the whole process. You know, they're constantly exposed to judges. Like you, and they mean, well, okay, whatever, but you're going into this courtroom where everyone genuflects to this person in his black robe. (laughs) You know, you don't know what all (laughs) this is about, right? Mm -hmm. and guardian ad litem. why does this lawyer or this person have to come and talk to me in private? What is all this about? You know, counselors, why do I have to go to counseling because my parents can't get along? Like, it's all of this that comes along with all of this. And the family courts enable it. They enable it at best, if not actively playing a role in it. Like, at some point, they let it go on for five years. I, I I half dozen fathers I'm actively talking to right now. It's been a, a half decade at least. It's more than that. That you know, and they allow this to happen instead of just saying, no, I've had enough of this. If you you guys come back with something you're agreeing on, or I'm making a decision, and then make that proper decision. Like shared parenting. It doesn't have to be 50-50, but it doesn't have to be, you know, dad, just whatever. And if I find it and enforcing custody agreements. That happens with fathers, right? I can count on one hand the number of times I've heard a judge put their foot down and enforce it with a mother. Fathers, yeah, I've had fathers who've been completely clocked over like just, you know, something that that was out of their control and and it hurts the kids. And they don't, they, they don't, what you just said, they don't even really think about the kids. It's always the drama between mom and dad. They don't get down and look at what's really the impact on the children. That Mm -hmm. is the perspective that they're coming from. It just is.
0: Is it a training issue? Is it for for the judges? The judges are just not educated on how to spot when this is happening and how to address it. I mean, I would think this is something that would be on the level of a a licensed therapist that would be properly trained to identify this and work with the situation. So is it a judge that's out of his or her league?
1: Every judge is a silo, right? It is a, Five-foot concrete wall wrapped in nine feet of steel. Like that judge, that's the world in there. So it it is whatever peculiarities or whatever mindsets that they may or may not have. Most of them, again, are generally trying to operate by the canons of the law. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I I think there are a lot of variables that come into play. We all are deferential to mothers, even fathers. Even the fathers who've come to us we are deferential to mothers we just are, um, as a society in America. So you get that kind of just deferential mindset at the base. There's, again, this this uh, this concern about domestic violence and um, having the horrible thing happen, as well as, and I'll take a step back and talk about this. The domestic violence movement in this country has been re- extraordinarily successful. It started in the 70s. Like, That's when there was an awareness of and all the prevention programs and everything started. And a lot has occurred since then. And there are a lot of groups out there. And again, we support it, fighting for domestic violence. And they have enough entities like this and enough passion and enough people dedicated that they are able to go to the district attorneys, go to the judges. And I see this um, in counties, multiple counties. I know this that I'm familiar with. Where they have access to the judges and the trainings that they do. So the judges and all of them get pulled into this. And again, it's keeping people safe and we're supportive of that. But what happens is there are like they're trying to catch the sharks, but they're casting these nets and they're catching the dolphins and they don't care about catching the dolphins. They really don't. Um, And so that is part of it that pressure and all of that. And there's not really a lot of voices out there for men. The other thing is, Uh, We did a survey of all the offices of children and youth, uh, county offices in Pennsylvania, uh, the ratio of males versus females. Because you look around and you see a lot of women in the human services field and also in the legal system, um, particularly at the aid level. Um, And we found out that uh, 84% of the staff in the children and youth offices in the state of Pennsylvania are female, uh, 86% of the supervisors are female. So it's a very female um, spectrum that this operates, the child welfare system and the child court systems. So you're going to have biases that come along with that. You're going to have a lack of engagement or capability or understanding of, you know, men, just as it would be if it was something that was 86, 84, 86 percent men. The same thing in reverse. So that dynamic is at play. Um. And then also people in their own personal experiences and their own biases and the trauma that you say that people go through. So there's just all these different factors that come to play with it. And this is as an outside observer, uh, the fathers. I, I know a lot of fathers that have a lot, if even stronger thoughts and feelings and senses of things, having had been um, put through the business end of that. But that's just a, a lot of the different variables that I see at play um, with this issue. Uh, there's one father. Uh, here in Center County, um, he was in a relationship with a woman who was like a serial hoarder uh, and she took his bank, like, financially took advantage of him and anything else. Had a daughter. This She had been involved with children and youth before then um, and was always at risk of having her children um, taken from the house. And it was bubbling up again and their daughter, his daughter with her, was would have been taken out of the house. And they referred him to us to help him. And he wasn't there yet to separate. And I kind of helped get him there. I, I, he, I helped get him there to know that that's what he needed to do. And he didn't want, he's like, I don't want to take her away from her mom. That's what Most of our fathers are like, we don't want to deny him. But I was able to work with him. And children and youth, because it was the right thing, backed it when it ultimately, she ultimately went to court and the judge knew about what was going on. And it worked out for him now he's out on his own, he has no other supports here, and we've tried to help connect him with supports and support him a little bit as best he can with his daughter because he doesn't want to leave the area like he's from Kansas, and ideally, his family's like, "Come back here, but I don't want to you know and even though the mom still hasn't the mom jetted and hasn't seen the daughter since you know but that's one kind of where the system worked the way that it could uh, I have a couple of court cases that we've seen some uh, positives for brief periods of time, but honestly, it's mostly bad news. I mean, I, I'd like to give you, you know, it's mostly bad news. I've, I've helped, I supervised some visits for fathers who, because if I, when, when they get on this supervised visit thing, this is another there, most counties don't have the services to do the, all the supervised visits that come along and fathers will end up getting put on the back of the list and particularly worse during the pandemic. So I supervised some visits for fathers to get them off of supervised visits so that they could be alone with their kids and actually do visits. So that, that was good, that we were able to help out in a small way uh, in that regard. But honestly, uh, it is bad news 95% of the time. That's just the reality of it.
0: What can be done to change the way that fathers are being denied access to their children by these systems?
1: So we are part of a statewide coalition called the Pennsylvania Greater Father Family Involvement Campaign. And uh, the gentleman who is the architect of this and the mastermind and the guy who really has made it all happen, his name is Dr. Rufus Sylvester Lynch, extraordinarily accomplished uh, gentleman. Um, and our group, it, again, with his leadership, had cra- crafted a bill, HB 1731, to create the Pennsylvania Advisory Committee on Greater Father Involvement, the our state legislator and our governor, Republican Democrat, woman, man, men, uh, rural, urban, whatever it is in this day and age, they all see that this is an issue, and they want to see, um, and they're giving us the opportunity and whoever is on the committee uh, to to be able to look at what we can do and make an effort to really be Pennsylvania be the uh, at the forefront of changing culture in these systems relative to father.
0: That would be, that would be really awesome.
1: Well, as we close, Jeff, how can
0: people find out more about what you're doing and more about the dad's resource center?
1: Our website is uh dad's D a D S R C. So dad's R C is in ResourceCenter.org. Uh, and you can go to the website Um, connect on our social media, follow us. We have an active social media. We get this information out, forward it. Uh, Jasmine, who does our social media, she's real good in terms of creating videos and uh, different uh, social media cards and things like that. Our website has a lot of great information. Both parents can get information in terms of co-parenting. And that's a whole nother discussion is better how to better co-parent. We help with that. We can talk about those types of things. Uh, And you you can contact us, myself, through the website uh, with the email, automatic email, or leave a voice message on the number we have at the website. I'll also
0: make this very easy for you to find. So you can also go to thefatherhoodchallenge.com. That's thefatherhoodchallenge.com. And if you go to this episode description and look right down below, I'll also post those links there. So you can just click right on them and go right to the website. Uh, and also go to the social media. So uh, I'll make that as easy as possible. So Jeff, thank you so much for being on the fatherhood challenge. I know this has been a very challenging topic to get into, but one that I personally believe is absolutely essential to talk about in this day and age. So thank you for coming on here and educating us all. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Fatherhood Challenge. If you'd like to contact us, listen to other episodes, find any resource mentioned in this program, or find out more information about the Fatherhood Challenge, please visit thefatherhoodchallenge.com. That's
1: thefatherhoodchallenge.com.